What a great day. Wow, man, I tell you, I feel the buzz of the Holy Spirit. How can you not after 24 hours of praying? I just want to give a special thank you to everyone who participated, especially those who grounded out in the midnight hours, as it were. And uh, we're here today uh, moving forward continually because God has given us a mandate to affect the nations, to affect our nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to thank uh, Betty for all the work that she has done, her and Rick, to put this together. Let's say thank you. You know, I hope you guys all realize the amount of massively talented and gifted people who uh, operate out of this church use their gifts to, uh, to do great things for the kingdom of God. One of those people who use their gifts to do great things for God is our worship leader, Amy Pritchard. And today, I'm understanding, Donnie, that quite possibly it could be you and Amy's anniversary on this very day today. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you. Happy, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Well, I think that's uh, all of the general information items. And uh, how many of you know that uh, we've had a lot of information items thrown at us over the last several months? Amen. How many of you would say that you're glad that it's almost over? All of the ads and all of the signs and, and all of the commercials. Could you just say yay with me, everybody? Yay! It's almost over. Almost. Almost. We've heard a lot from both of the candidates, but this morning I'd like to make a public service announcement on behalf of God Amen. and His kingdom. Because I think God should always have the final word of everything that not only happens in our nation, but happens across the earth. And today we're going to take a look at what does God have to say? Well, I have good news for you. He has a lot to say, and he says it very clearly. And so this morning, uh, I just want to be able just to take a few minutes, as I said, to speak on behalf of God. That's what he, he's given the pastors the opportunity and the right to do. And the interesting thing about that is this just didn't start today. This started way back at the beginning of who we were and what we were founded, the principles that we were founded upon as a nation in this great nation. How many of you would agree with me that we live in the greatest nation that ever was or will be on the earth? Amen? And, and if you don't know that, all you have to do is travel. Okay? All you have to do is travel. If you're caught up in the negative side of, of who we are in America, then you're missing the point. Because this is a nation, one nation under God, serving His purposes. This nation was always intended to make an impact around the world, and that's what we do. More missionaries are sent out of this nation than almost any nation ever. And the interesting thing about that is we're reaping what we've sown because people are coming back to America from all the nations around the world as the, the, the yes and amen and the thank you from God for what we're doing. You know, we house multiple nations inside of this nation. We're the only nation that hosts as many varying people from multiple nations around the world. And it's a good thing. 
I'm going to pray before I start today. I think this message needs some prayer before we start. Father, in Jesus' name, let the simplicity of your word come to light today. Father, let uh, the kingdom be glorified in everything that's said from this pulpit today. Father, let your glory flow in our great nation. Father, I thank you that we had people that were smart enough to not only form this great nation, to, but to form it under the precepts and principles of, of the Bible. That they look to you and you alone to say, as we break away and start our own nation, we want you to be preeminent in everything that we say and do. We want you to lead, you to guide, you to show us the way. And so, Father, today, it's my honor to highlight what you have to say and how you affect the lives that we lead. And, Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Not at the end. Let's say it at the beginning. Hallelujah. Yes and amen. Anybody that wants to get excited today, you can. You can, you can get excited. It's, it's okay. I'll, uh, I'll uh, be glad to entertain that. I hear a statement people say all the time. And it's a statement uh, that is said uh, more times than I care to hear it. I hear a statement that people say all the time, and it's said more times than I really care to hear it. This statement is this, I was always taught never to discuss politics or religion. Religion and politics don't mix. Really? When did that happen? Who made that up? Because from the very beginning of the foundation of who we are as a nation, politics and religion always mixed. As a matter of fact, they not only mixed, but religion led politics. And politics did not lead religion. Wow, what a concept. I know those of you who are probably 45 and under, you never read that in your history book because we live in a day of revisionist history. We live in a day, as Pastor Caleb said, we live in a day of a cancel culture. And they would like to cancel out, this culture would like to cancel God from everything that this nation is about. But that's not God's plan. I have good news for you today. God has a great plan and that's not it. He doesn't want to cancel things out for us. Back in the time of the foundation of the colonies, pastors spoke out boldly about the social issues of the day. And as a matter of fact, they would call out those who held offices if what they did was counter to what the biblical mandates for their particular issue were. It happened all the time. It was a natural progression. The church looked over the government. And I'm going to tell you why here in a minute. For the first couple of hundred years, pastors each year would preach an election sermon concerning the issues surrounding the particular election. They would do this so that their people would be biblically literate on the issues and that they would be able to cast a vote according to their conviction as opposed to casting a vote according to their personal preference. Hmm, not that interesting? It wasn't Jesus' personal preference per se, 
to have his uh, life uh, 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 taken in the way that it was taken, but he had a conviction that if the Father sent him, that he could sit in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, uh, sweating great drops of blood. See, you can do that when you have a conviction. But if it was a personal preference, he might have called down a legion of angels to take care of those who were going to do that to him, but that would have been counter to what God was calling for him to do and to be. See, his sacrifice wouldn't have paid the ultimate price that it needed to pay. He had to have a conviction that his life is what stood in the balance between you and hell and between us and being able to live in the power and authority of who he was. See, the pastors of their day, they used to preach and take their Bibles out. And if there was a particular issue, they would say, what does God have to say? about that issue and they would go look in the word because James says as we look into the word it's like a mirror that uh, we should see us in the word and the word in us and that should be the thing that uh, brings us to the place of how we view life the things we do in life is is what we see in 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 the bible see when we stand on our convictions we can Always trust that maybe these convictions are not going to be popular. We can always trust and rest on the fact that there's going to be a lot of people that stand against us. But listen, when you stand on a conviction, you're not standing on your own two feet. You're standing on God's two feet. And if people want to come against your conviction, they're not just coming against you, but they're coming against the God who created these particular principles. How do we know? How do we know that truly we were formed as a nation who put God first? Well, in 1776, there was this amazing document that came out. It's called uh, the Declaration of Independence. And I just happened to have a transcript of the Declaration of Independence. I thought you might be interested in that. And, and I just want to share with you a few things that the Founding Fathers thought were a good idea. In the very first thing that they talked about, the very first paragraph, it says, the, the, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the nature of God entitle them to. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. God was in the very first paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. The second paragraph starts out about God. It said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are what? Created equal. That they are endowed by who? Their creator. I don't know about you, but I just think we ought to verify their creator I believe they're talking about God. Would you agree with me? That they were endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that are among these, uh, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm. The government is not in charge of your life or your liberty or the pursuit of your happiness. They were smart enough to know that that was too big of a responsibility for them. And they would rather let that rest on their creator. Toward the end of this amazing document, in the last paragraph, it says, We therefore, 
the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the restitute of our intentions due in the name. And the last thing it says, and for the support of this declaration with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, listen, not just our lives, but our fortunes, and not just our fortunes, but our sacred honor are all things that when we were created that the founding fathers put in this document because they basically were saying the same thing that Moses said. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus 33. They're saying the same thing that Moses said when God was calling him on a mission to move the people of Israel from where they were to the place of their promised land. And in Exodus uh, 33, 12, it says, Then Moses said to God, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also uh, found my grace. You have also found grace in my sight. This is what happens when you stay up from midnight till now. So just bear with me. Amen. Uh, in verse 14, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. See, that's what God does. When he calls you to a destiny, when you say yes to the destiny, that's what he does. His presence goes with you, and it gives you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. And that's just what the writers of the Declaration were saying. Let me read that to you again. And for the support of this Declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives. Wow! All of these guys that signed this declaration, they were saying, I mutually pledge my life to you. I want our lives to be lived in unity. I want the peace of God to be that which operates within us. I want when we are contentious with each other, I want God to be the one that brings light to our situation. Because when God brings light to a situation, he brings peace. They, they want a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. How many of you are glad that your nation was formed by smart people who wanted God to protect us? I remember hearing a story about Haiti one time and that how the government of Haiti dedicated their nation to the devil, flat out dedicated their nation to Satan. Now, would you say there's a little difference in between the two nations? Even to this day, one dedicated to God and one dedicated to the devil. Listen, we have to be careful that we would remove God from any facet of what we do as a nation because he is the one that brings protection to the, the nation. And then it says this, we mutually pledge. I don't think these guys were all Republicans or all Democrats. I think that they were of both persuasions, but they were smart enough to know that God commands a blessing in unity. See, this document is amazing. We mutually pledge to each other our lives. 
our fortunes. They were willing to bring their fortunes together for the well-being of this nation. And they were willing to put on the line their sacred honor. And this is what Moses is basically saying when, he, when God is saying, I want you to move these people from one place to the other. Moses is smart enough to say, this is a huge job. And in order for me to do that, I have to have assurance that you're going to move with me. And in verse 16, it says, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show us your glory. See, he didn't want to go anywhere without where the glory of God went. And, and, and you have to know, it says, that Moses is saying, so that we shall be separate from the other people. That people would know that we are people and the glory of God rests upon us. And this is what our founding fathers wanted for this great nation. They wanted people to know that this nation was formed under the principles of God. You know, when we say, let's not discuss religion or politics, what we're saying is, is that we're just happy with whoever does whatever they want to do. That can never be our stance or position. Listen, let me just give you this to chew on. If the church does not stand guard over the, the founding father's biblical principles that this nation was founded on, then who will do it? If God's people don't stand for this document, holding people's feet to the fire to say, this is not what we were founded on, Who's going to do that? Well, you can't do that by running from politics or running from religion. See, we're not bringing just religion to people. We're bringing relationship to people. See, we're trying to, in God's grace, draw people back to the foundation of not what our personal preference is. This isn't about what Dwight wants. This is about what God wants. And see, we have to remove Republican and Democrat and Independent out of the equation when we are part of the kingdom. Who's going to stand other than the church for the biblical principles of our founding fathers? Let me just give you a couple examples. Is the ACLU going before the courts supporting us in, in godly situations? You bet that's not happening. Are atheists saying, hey, listen, man, we need to really listen to those Christians. They're good people, although we disagree. No, that's not happening. Are Satanists, people who worship uh, the enemy, are they saying, you know what? It's much better for us to be under God than under Satan. So, no, that's not happening. Are socialists standing in the gap between us and the king and saying, you know what? We agree. That God is the way that we go. Is Antifa standing in the gap for us and defending biblical principles for this nation? I think not. So who's left? Who's left to stand in the gap for this great nation? 
Well, it's you and I. And the interesting thing about standing in the gap for something is, is you have to know whose gap you're standing in and why you're standing there. Let's look at Psalm 33, because I don't want this to be a message about anything other than what God says about issues. Well, wait a minute. Turn to, turn to Psalm 2, Judy, don't worry about it. I, I don't have that in there, and I warned you that this was going to be one of those days. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Why do the nations, what are they raging about? The, ra the nations rage about getting their own ways. The, they rage and then they're in anger because they have no conviction of what the Bible says about things. So they become angry trying to get their own way. Have you noticed that lately at all? That there's a touch of anger uh, floating across our nation. And, you know, that's not what God says. God says he gives peace to the nation when we are moving under his principles. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs as if. Man and his ways can supersede what God is ultimately going to do. Here's what happens, though. Sometimes God just says, hey, do your own thing. Let's see how that works for you. Do your own thing. If you think you can do it better than I can do it, then do your own thing. You know, the people asked for a king because they wanted somebody to personally rule over them, and they got Saul, and he wasn't capable of doing that because there was too many insecurities inside of him. See, he wanted it to be about him and not God. He actually for, forsook the orders of the things that God had called him to do, so God had to go out then and find another king, and they, or, uh, Caleb preached about him over the last couple weeks, and that was David. And why was David in a good position? Because he was a man after God's own heart and not his own ways. The ungodly are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not or, or the, the, uh, therefore the ungodly now shall not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall what? Shall perish. Okay, turn with me now to uh, Psalm 33. Psalm 33. And let's just take a look at what it says here. Psalm 33, let's start in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, oh, 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 that's great. That's a good one, but that's Psalm 34. Okay, so forgive me. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, but makes perfect the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Verse 12, listen to this. Blessed is the nation. Come on, somebody. Say, could you say this with me? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen for his own inheritance. I love the song we used to sing. Blessed are the... Mm. 
Such a good song. If it, if it wouldn't have been too cheesy, I'd have had you sing that today. But it's a great song because it's a scriptural declaration of saying, Blessed are the nations whose God is the Lord. Blessed are those who trust in Him. The Lord looks from the heaven. He sees all the sons of men. And from the place of His dwelling, He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually, and He considers all their works. Listen, God's watching over this thing. He's watching over to see who's moving in the light of personal preference and who's moving in the power of the conviction that they have in the word. Turn with me to Psalm 22. Blessed are the nation whose God is the Lord. Could we make that any clearer? Is, is there any questions on that before I give the test? Whose nation is blessed? The nation whose God is the Lord. Okay, I, okay you passed the test. You, you, you passed the quiz. Now, I want you to understand something. I know that some things that are going to be said in this message are going to scratch to the very core of your fibers. I get that. But that's my job. My job is not to render a, 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 a personality or a, a, just a, a make-you-feel-good day. My job is to preach the truth so that you can be blessed by the truth of the Word. For the kingdom is the Lord's. The kingdom is the Lord, and what? He rules over the nations. Isn't it interesting that we look in these two scriptures and God is intimately wanting to do what he is called to do, to rule over the nations. But isn't it interesting that we are called as New Testament believers to rule and reign with him. We're supposed to be walking hand in hand with him, not counter to him, but to be with him. Now, let me ask you this. Are you casting a kingdom vote when you vote, or are you casting a vote that is of personal preference? Are you casting a kingdom vote, or are you casting a vote that has kingdom implications? I was thinking of this picture the other day, and I was thinking of uh, somebody going into the voting booth. They get into where they sign their name and register, and then they turn around and say to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, only one of us can go in the booth, so I'd like you to stay right here, and then I'll take it from here. I'll do my thing, and you stay there, and then when we're done, I'll come back uh, and connect with you, and we'll have coffee. Because only one of us can go into the booth. Only one of us can do that. You know, voting is not a civic duty. It's a kingdom responsibility. And when I hear of all of the Christians who fail to go vote, I, I, can't, I can't wash that. Because I believe that voting is the way that we say, yes, God, we believe that you are the God who is over the earth and you reign over all the nations. And not only do I believe that, but I'm going to go represent you to my nation because there are things that are counter to who you are taking place and I want your vote to count. Not my vote, not my personal preference, but I want your conviction to vote. I want my conviction to vote. Now, 
Isn't it interesting when we talk about, you know, uh, uh, the religion and politics don't mix and we shouldn't be affecting the nations let's, or with, with the gospel. Let's look at uh, Acts chapter 17 real quickly. Acts chapter 17. As a matter of fact, I read this scripture uh, uh, several weeks ago in another message that I gave. It says in verse 1, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating uh, that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, uh, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Listen to this. But the Jews who were not persuaded, this is what they did. They became envious. They became envious of the message because it was counter to what their personal preference was. Their preference was, is we are still waiting upon a Savior, and you're telling us a Savior is here. So what happens when you are motivated by personal preference and not the Word of God? It says, uh, they were not persuaded, some became envious, then took some of the evil men of the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all of the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Listen to this verse 6, you're going to love this. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the who? Rulers of the city. Are we not mixing uh, politics and religion here? This is a message that was preached, and now they're dragging them to the rulers of the city because this is what they said, crying out, these men have turned the world upside down. Praise the Lord. I hope Redeemer Church turns the world upside down. <laughs> Pastor Caleb and I were having this discussion about this this week. Uh, when it says they turned the world upside down and they've come here too, actually, we kind of think that they brought the world right side up. See, all they were trying to do with their message is to put God first. Because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And these guys were looking out of what was best for them and not what was best for the whole. So out of their personal preference, what they did was is they got angry, they got upset, they gathered a mob, and they tried to eliminate the message. Listen, if you don't go vote, then you are having your message eliminated. You're having your conviction left uh, outside of the, of the ballot box. Why is that important? Because we have a nation that was formed on godly principles. Whose responsibility is that? It's ours. We are the church. No one should ever be elected to office without the approval of God's church. No one should ever be elected. Listen, the truth is, is we've allowed the government to control critical segments of our belief system. We've just allowed it. We've allowed the government to control critical segments of our belief system instead of us being the influencers. How do I know that? Why is it important to vote? Why is it important to vote in a, in a kingdom parameter? Because we have a group of people called the Supreme Court. 
who are the supreme rulers of our nation and judges of, uh, of what's going to be allowed to happen. And they've made some dicey rulings. And unfortunately, it's been like Novocaine to the church and nobody's even noticed. Because it happens so often, we've just said, well, there's really nothing we can do. That's not true. That's not true. Since 1962 and through the year 2000, the Supreme Court has ruled against segments of prayer being in the church. They've ruled about taking the Ten Commandments out of the church. What nation can be ruled by God if God can't even get inside of the principles and practices of that nation? Why would the enemy want prayer out of the schools and, and no biblical guidance to the generations that they're bringing up. Maybe it's because he knows if we remove God from the youth side of what's happening that they can be indoctrinated with a different type of religion. Humanism was never removed from the schools. People who wanted to teach whatever they wanted to teach was never removed from the schools. Prayer and the Ten Commandments were. Well, that was one interesting Supreme Court situation. In 1973, in 62, I was born in 62 for the first uh, prayer in school decision. In 73, we had Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade came in and said that it's okay to kill babies. It's all right. Because the Supreme Court has said it is a woman's right to choose to murder a baby. Oh, did I say murder? Listen, if you think God's in favor of that, listen, you probably need to go back and read your word. See, this is what God favors, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you created uh, me in my, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret. Mm. It doesn't matter how you were made. It doesn't matter the conviction. It doesn't matter what was happening between uh, two teenagers or two adults that are married or, or two people that find it inconvenient for that pregnancy to have occurred. That's not the baby's fault. And you can't take personal preference in this situation. You have to take a conviction. Now, listen, I understand that many of us have suffered from the realm of abortion. And I'm not up here to make a pie in the sky, uh, 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 a statement about something I know nothing about. I'm firmly aware of abortion. And one day, because of a personal preference, I participated in that. But oh, when we came to the truth, and when we came to the place of a conviction, then we knew what we did wasn't right, and we knew what we did had to have, we had to have God forgive us. We had to do that. So just because, you know, I always love this, well, you did it, yes, I did it, and it was wrong. And I did it when it was a personal preference. If it would have been a conviction, that would have never happened. And we would have had another child here. But the good news is, is heaven has that child. And Tammy and I will see that baby again. We will. We'll see that baby again. Why? Because it wasn't God's plan for that to happen to that child. And trust me, 
It's a brutal solution to a situation that does not have to be brutal. It's a heart-wrenching thing to have been a part of. And only God could heal my heart. Only God could heal my heart. In Jeremiah, he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Do you think that God only had Jeremiah in mind and no other babies in their mother's womb for the direction and the purpose that they would have? No, that's not. Listen, you've got to remove yourself from that. You have to be brave enough to say, even if I participated in this, this was not right, and now I have a conviction. And if you've participated in that and you need healed, God can heal you. He can heal you. He is so good. And if you ever want to talk to us about how he can heal you, we are open to talk to you about that. But see, the Supreme Court made a decision that this was best for America. Who was this best for? And then we came to the place to where in 2015... Obergefell and Hodges came along, and that's what brought us the idea of same-sex marriage. And that's what made our government put a stamp of approval on that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Let's see what God has to say about that. Let's see what God has to say about that. Now, I am not going to take any garbage about, oh, you're a homophobe. You're, you hate gay people. Really? 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 No, quite the opposite is the truth. I love people enough to say, you know what? You might want to rethink that. Not because I said it, because of what God has to say. You know, I am so tired of the body of Christ being pinned into a corner and not knowing how to swing our way out of it because the whole society says, you're this, and you're that, and you're a this, and you're a that. So we cower back and say, well, I guess we should just be quiet and not talk about religion and politics. What, what, what are we cowering back to? Why are we in a corner in the first place? This is not what we said. This isn't, this isn't what Dave is standing out on his own, banging a drum about on a corner. No, he's just saying what God has said. When did it become unpopular to stand on what God has to say? Mm -mm -mm. I want you to go back to Proverbs 31.8. We're, we're talking about Forming a conviction and not a personal preference. This is so important. This is so important. I'm going to read this scripture out of two versions. And I'm sorry I jumped ahead to a, another Supreme Court decision. But I want to say, what does God have to say about our role in saving babies? It says in Proverbs 31.8, it says, Open your mouth for the speechless. In the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. In the TPT it says this in 31.8, But you are to be a king who speaks up on behalf of the disenfranchised. Listen, you know, 
This can go into all roles. Listen, whether it's racial issues, racial tensions, no matter who is disenfranchised, it's our job to speak up for them. Yeah, this is happening. Betty made a good statement. This is happening on our watch. We're responsible for this. We're the church. Woohoo! It's awesome. But you are to be a king who speaks up on behalf of the disenfranchised and pleads for the legal rights of the defenseless and those who are dying. Be a righteous king, judging on behalf of the poor and interceding for those most in need. (laughs) Who's speaking up for the ones who can't speak at all? The Supreme Court. And they said they have no voice. Why do we vote? Because we want to vote on the side of people. See, there's one group of people that's fully in favor of this. And it, 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 it amazes me that people have no problem pulling a lever for people who have this conviction. And then we have another side over here who's standing and saying, I know this isn't popular, but we're going to speak for the disenfranchised and those who have no voice. And whatever lever you're pulling, you're saying personal preference or you're saying conviction. There's just no other way to put that. There's no other easy way to say it. But we have a voice, it's a vote. And we can say, I am totally against that situation. It's not what God has in store for us. This is God's way. And I know it's not going to be popular with my friends, but I'm voting my conviction and not my personal preference. Listen, let me give you good news. You can bring Jesus into the booth with you. And he wants to come along. And if you're struggling with this, what I'd like you to do is stand at the time you're going to pull the lever. And I want you to ask God, God, who should I vote for? It's not about people. We've heard all the negative things about Joe Biden. We've heard all the negative things about Donald Trump. Neither one of them are people we would want to be president. Would we agree with that? But the reality is, is they have platforms that they represent. You're not voting for a person. You're voting for a platform. You gotta, see, it's deeper than, than, than what everybody wants you to think it is. So when you go to pull a lever, now listen, hey, take another shot of Novocaine, church. Here's the, here's the last Supreme Court ruling that was against the church, and most of you, I bet you're not even aware of this. During the COVID crisis, the, the church in Nevada took to the Supreme Court an issue that said casinos and places of ill repute and, and other businesses, they're allowed to have into their buildings 50% of what the maximum capacity is. So if a casino can hold 4,000 people, they had the right by the state of Nevada to ask 2,000 people to come in and inhabit the casino so that they could keep the gambling business alive. But the state of Nevada said, well, we're not doing that for the churches. We're putting a rule that says only 50 people are allowed to assemble in a church. 2,000 can come to a casino, but only 50 can, can enter into a church. That's the rule we made on the COVID situation. They took it to the Supreme Court, and who do you think won that battle? 
the state of Nevada. The Supreme Court ruled against the church. All they wanted was the same thing that was allotted to everyone else. If you had a church of 2,000 people, they wanted 1,000 of them to be allowed to come in to worship God. And the state said no, and the Supreme Court upheld that. Why? Why would they say it's okay for 2,000 people to hang out at a casino, but 500 people couldn't come to a church? Ask yourself that. Ask yourself that. What's going to be next? The next thing, the state of Ohio is going to go before the Supreme Court, and they're going to say that Pastor Dwight Bennett preached an anti-homosexual message from his pulpit on November 1st of 2020, and we want that church to be contested. We want their 501c3 to be removed because they're not going to be just satisfied with telling you when you can meet and how many people can meet. They're going to go after the jugular of what we believe. If you don't believe this, just look at the other nations who have went down this pathway. I preached in socialist Cuba, and in the back of every place I church, er, that I spoke were guards from the government watching what I spoke. I want to say, wake up! But I'm going to say, hey, let's wake up. <laughs> when you go in to vote for people who agree with cutting the church to a place that they wouldn't cut a casino to, and you pull their lever, you're going to get what you deserve. You're going to get what you're asking for. If you think an administration is going to come in and make all your boo-boos go away, they're going to pay your student loans, they're going to give you a free house, a free car, and if you trade that in, they'll give you what's behind door number four, a free trip. <laughs> Nothing's free. You pay for all of that. One side says, let's let the government take care of things. Another side says, let's let the people take care of everything. And we the people... We the people need to have a conviction that says even though every, you know, we're 50-50 we're in this whole situation, even though we love them, and it's, it's his heart that none should perish, we're going to stand not on a personal conviction, not on a personal preference. We're going to stand on a con biblical conviction for what we do and what we say. I'm looking at these kids over here, and they're the next generation. They better see us have a backbone, or what's going to happen to them is going to be twice as bad as what's happening to us. Now, I know some of you are saying, Pastor, you're preaching. Ooh. I thought God was in charge. He is. And you know what? Blessed is the... Blessed is... The nation whose God is the Lord. If you want to take God out of the equation, then you better start burying your money in cans in the backyard. Oh, that won't be any good anyway. Because the currency will be devalued. Oh, I didn't want to get into this stuff. Just research Venezuela. 
Why do people want to take us down that pathway? What is in the heart of people that is so jealous of people who are successful that they want to destroy the successful and bring, the, bring everybody down to a certain level? No, this is the nation that allows people to prosper. And because we prosper, the world prospers. I'm talking to all of my friends around the world, and they are saying to me, Pastor, what is going on in America? They can see it. Why can't we see it? They say, Pastor, if this doesn't turn out well, we are in trouble. For eight years, people in Mombasa were plagued by ISIS groups, that, militant groups that came in. Six months after the new administration came in, they rooted them all out. I didn't want to get into this. I didn't want to get into, I don't want to get into this because it's not about, yeah, it is, it's about platform. It's about what people think and feel and taste and see. And if we don't move on the realm of conviction, we're going to have more Supreme Court situations that are not going to be good for us. You know what's going to happen in the first hundred days of this new administration? They are going to take the Supreme Court, same-sex de decision, and they're going to make a law that says, when you want to play girls basketball, you don't want to play girls basketball, do you, bro? I mean, I've seen you drain threes for the boys' team, but you can get five of your buddies, and you can play girls basketball, and you can go in the locker room with them because you have the right to be in the girls' locker room. Really? 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 If I was at Reynoldsburg and a boy came in the girls' locker room when my girls played basketball, it would not have been pretty. Where are we? Why do we have to have a, a conversation like this? We have to have it because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. I promise you. But those who bless Israel, those who bless Israel, make no mistake about it. Israel is the apple of God's eye. The Jewish people have his heart like no other people. No other people. And when we move away from supporting Israel, we're playing with fire. We're playing with fire. There's going to become a day when America's not going to be able to protect Israel. And that's where the Armageddon's going to come from. The whole world is going to come against Israel, and America is not going to be able to stand against them. And God is going to come, and he is going to show people that you don't mess with my chosen people. So I don't know about you, but I want to cast a conviction vote on Tuesday. I don't want to vote on a personal preference because it makes my life easy, and I could go into 16 more issues. But these are the ones that most affect the church. And we are supposed to affect a nation, not the nation affect us. So you don't have to fret or sweat. You just go do what you know is right. 
And when it comes time to enter the booth on Tuesday, you make a conviction vote for what each platform stands for. And then you pull away and allow God to do what he's 